0: Hello and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. Normally I would present... Uh, an article that I found from the website Ms. Magazine, and go through the argument presented in that article, and then respond with my own points and argument, and just try to correct the thinking of our modern age, especially involving women, and especially in the feminist movement. However, I was sitting thinking about what I was going to talk about today, and scrolling, and I realized that the name of this show is Strength and Dignity. And that I don't think I talk about the word of God as much as I could or should. And so I decided that I wanted to look at strong and dignified women in the Bible during various episodes throughout this semester. So I'll still probably be doing some article analysis in some episodes. And then other episodes, we'll be looking at a specific biblical figure in the Bible, and how she demonstrates strength and dignity, how we can learn from her, what we should imitate, what we should maybe not imitate, and just really go dive back into Scripture and really study what the Word says about women, because that's where my beliefs come from, and I just wanted to share that. So, I'm going to start off by going back to Proverbs 31, verse 25, which is the verse behind the title of this show, Strength and Dignity. That verse reads Strength and Dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Obviously, I took just from the beginning part, Strength and Dignity, but I love the ending, She Laughs at the Time to Come, because in this world, we get very stressed out and stirred up with fear and doubt. And just not being able to accomplish everything, not being able to get things done, fear of the unknown, what's going to happen, what does this mean? And it says that this woman is not fearful. She, in fact, laughs at the time to come. The future does not scare her. It does not determine her actions now. Um, Instead, her strength and her dignity are what define her. So, lots of people reject the Bible as misogynistic or oppressive towards women, but I want to change that point of view because, in fact, the Bible is the greatest book that talks about the value of women, and it gives the value and importance and beauty of women from its very beginning verses. Especially during the time it was written, in contrast to the cultures around, the Bible stood out as very pro-women and, in fact, encouraging towards women, whereas many of the cultures were, in fact, misogynistic or saw women as lesser than men, under men. Men were able to divorce their wives, kill their wives, all of that. Um, And that is not accepted in the Bible. And, in fact, the Bible praises a strong and dignified woman and a woman for fearing the Lord. So therefore, studying and considering the faithful, dignified women of the Bible is instructive to us today. We can imitate who they are, what they did, and what is praiseworthy. So naturally, I think it only makes sense to start at the beginning with the very first woman ever created, Eve, the wife of Adam. She is the first woman to appear in the Bible. And many people may want to jump right in with Genesis 2 because that's when she is Her creation is detailed in Genesis 2, and her name is given at the end of Genesis 3. But I want to start in Genesis 1. I think it's important in verses 26 and 27 that it says, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's important because women bear the image of God, as do men. This is what gives them their equal standing with men, and so if anyone ever says that a woman is not equal to a man by biblical standards, they are simply wrong, because both are created in the image of God, and therefore both are equal before him. One is not over the other in terms of equality. The other thing I wanted to emphasize from this verse is the beauty of diversity, the beauty of male and female. And I don't mean that in a strange way, meaning the image of God is male and female. What I'm saying is that the Lord is glorified in complementary uniqueness. There are differences between men and women, between male and female, and those differences actually glorify God. Looking at it from another perspective, no person is the exact same to any other person. Every single person throughout all of history is unique. They have a unique personality, a unique appearance. They, God beautifully forms every single skin cell of our bodies and they combine to make a unique person in appearance and in character. And this uniqueness throughout history, this uniqueness of every single individual is beautiful because it glorifies God because he is the creator. It's like an artist who creates different types of art, different pictures, through painting, or oil painting, or drawing, sketching, etc. An artist doesn't create the exact same picture every time he sits down to paint. In fact, he creates something new every single time, and that's what makes his talent so unique and each of his works so beautiful. He would not be praised as beautiful or accomplished if he created the exact same product every single time. Instead, he's praised because of the differences. So it's important that God created men and women in the image of God, and that he made them unique before each other and before him, and that he makes every single man or woman unique in his image, nonetheless. Another important thing that we get from Genesis 1 is that God gave them both a command. This command was not just given to Adam and then passed on to Eve, therefore somehow changing the hierarchy or or making Adam go in between God and Eve. Instead, he commanded both of them to be fruitful and to multiply, to have dominion over the earth. This is a partnership. It is a dual responsibility. And therefore, it is a dual responsibility when they fail. Okay, so now diving into Genesis 2. God creates man and breathes into him the breath of life. But in verse 16, he says, it is not good that man is alone. This verse is in complete contrast to his continual praise of creation. He's been saying throughout chapter one, it is good. It is good. And at the end, he said, it is very good. And now he says, it is not good. And he says, I shall make a helper for him, fit for him. And I just love the verses that follow when Adam sees Eve for the first time. And this is not in a sexual way or in a a lustful way, but his words are truly joyful at her appearance. He says, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so this just reminds us of the joy of community, that human beings were made for one another, were made to grow together and to love one another and be, share responsibility and share love between each other. Okay, so now we're going to dive into Genesis 3, the infamous chapter where Adam and Eve fall. They are deceived, they are tempted, and they fall. And many blame Eve for the fall. They say, Satan sought out the weaker vessel, he isolated her, and attacked. That's what any enemy would do, he's strategic, and so this means that, according to the Bible, a woman is weaker or not as strong as a man. But the Bible makes it clear that both Adam and Eve hold responsibility for the fall. In fact, the sin is ultimately upon Adam because of his failure for leadership, He's held to a high expectation because he is made the leader of the two of them, not in an unequal way, but simply as bearing that responsibility. And we quickly see the natural tendency of a human being to shift blame. Um, and that's exactly what Adam does. He says to the Lord, the woman who you gave to me brought me the fruit and I ate. He's blaming both God and eve and saying it's not my fault um it's it's a tendency and a habit that all of us do as human beings but i especially want to emphasize that sadly it's a habit that many men do when they are faced with conflict with confrontation they shirk their responsibility they especially men of our culture seek from confrontation seek to run and hide from the duty that they have And the best example I can think of is sadly in the abortion industry, in the unexpected pregnancies and the simple lack of men stepping up and saying, I am responsible for this and I'm going to make this right. I am going to care for this child. I'm going to care for his or her mother. And instead we have men running away and saying, this is not what I wanted. This was a mistake. It's not my fault and leaving the woman helpless. And of course, that's why the abortion industry is thriving and ahead and taking women's money because they have nowhere else to go because they have been left in the dust. So going back into Genesis 3, the Lord pronounces some curses upon Adam and Eve and the serpent. And upon the woman, we're just going to look at specifically, he says she will have pain in childbirth and he says your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you and lots of people kind of argue about what this verse means what does desire mean and what what I understand it to mean is that she is desiring his role she's desiring the the power if you will she she sees it now as a power difference and a difference in responsibility and therefore desires his role, and desires to oppose his decision. In fact, one translation says, your desire will be contrary to your husband, meaning you want what he does not. You want to do something different. And the really important part about all of this is that this is a new struggle in their relationship. This struggle, this conflict, was non-existent prior to the fall. And so therefore... The conflict, the frustration of man being the head and women being under is a result of the fall. And it it, it refuses to see the beauty in that relationship that was there before the fall. This is not something that is new that God is introducing this is not a new relationship he's simply saying there will be conflict and in fact there's conflict not just on the woman's side there's not just a desire for his role but there's also abuse of a man's role and and rightful complaint and hurt and pain from a man who who does not lead well and that was not present before the fall so at the end of Genesis 3, in verse 20, Adam calls the woman Eve. She's not been given this name before. And the word Adam, the Hebrew word Adam, is literally just translated mankind or man in general. So we call him Adam as his name, but in fact, that means man. And so Eve is translated, what what the text says is, because she is the mother of all living. And the Hebrew word Eve is translated life giver. And this is one of my favorite parts about Eve, uh, about her qualities, because I see life giver as one of the greatest and unique responsibilities of a woman that is only given to a woman. She gives life. She has the beautiful privilege of giving life. And women give life in multiple different ways. So obviously we can talk about physically Even in pregnancy, she's giving life. Her body is nurturing and caring for a growing child, and then in childbirth, and then also in relationships, in her interaction with others. You do not have to be a mother in order to give life. Women naturally have a care for other people, a nurture and a love and an outpouring of oneself for others that is different from the way a man loves others. And finally, as a mother, women are life-giving in the raising of children. She is self-sacrificing. And that is the key aspect, one of the key aspects of being a woman. Women are praised for this quality. In Proverbs 31, verses 26 to 28, it says, "'She opened her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the way of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed.'" her husband also and he praises her. And I just love those verses, the praise of the children, the praise of the husband, and the fact that life-giving is is exhausting in in opening her mouth with wisdom, teaching kindness, and not eating the bread of idleness. It is a constant job that women are doing, and it's a beautiful gift from the Lord. So, to conclude, we're going to draw some parallels that a lot of people do between Eve and Mary. So, many may be familiar with the comparison between the first Adam and the last Adam that the Gospels and the Epistle writers draw between Adam and Christ. And so, we do a little bit of a similar comparison with Eve and Mary. Mary embodies the role of a life giver. She, in fact, gives birth to the Savior of the world, who ultimately offers eternal life to all who trust in him. So in a way, you could say she's the, apart from Christ, who is the ultimate and greatest life giver because he gives eternal life. She gives life to him in human form. She is the vessel for his entrance into this world. So we're going to examine some of her words in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 48. So this humility of Mary, especially in the beginning, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on my humble estate. This humility is the driving force of a life giver, because a life giver, as we've been saying, self-sacrifices. And that takes humility to put others before yourself. And Mary especially does that as she faces rejection and a potential death penalty for actions that she did not do and humbly bears the Savior of the world in her womb while bearing the shame of a sin she did not commit. So, women of today ought to all imitate the humble attitude of Mary. To continue this discussion of humility as a life-giver, Drawing some more comparisons in their love towards others, they're pouring out of themselves in self-sacrifice, also in pregnancy. I believe any woman would tell you that being pregnant is not necessarily the most comfortable situation, and your body is constantly supplying the needs for another before your own. That's why many women are sick at first, and their skin breaks out, and They can't eat certain foods, and they everything changes. Their entire body is is shifting in order to make way for this new life, which is more fragile and in need of more attention. And therefore, humbly, a woman's body turns its attention upon the life growing inside of her. And also in motherhood, every mother is a self-sacrificing, humble woman, She loves her kids first. She sacrifices herself, her needs, her sleep, her energy for her children every single day. And I don't believe it's emphasized enough in our culture. Being a mother is a full-time job. And it's important because they are raising the next generation of children. They are influencing their thoughts. They're influencing how they think. They're influencing what they say, what they believe, how they interact with other students other children and they're influencing the the kids who will one day grow up and become leaders in this nation motherhood is in fact one of the most important jobs someone could do and it starts with the humility of mary so women ought to look to mary for that humility imitate her song imitate her words and her character And also women ought to look to Eve. Many may blame Eve as the one who fell, as the one who made a mistake and messed up, and there's no redemption for her. But in fact, the Lord promised redemption to her through her seed, that through her line, there would be a savior of the world. And so in fact, that term life-giver, or the mother of all living, is not just literally that all people came from Eve, but also that the savior of the world and the ultimate life-giver came from the line of Eve. So that's all I have for today. I really enjoyed looking further into the Lord's word and just talking about the women that he's put as examples in there and what it means to be a strong and dignified woman. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. I'm Michaela Truth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.